0: Good to see you. Glad you're here. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. We're getting really close. Uh, We are six days away. Uh, Really excited to gather with you on Saturday. And as we begin, um, if you'll open your Bibles to to Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to read a little more of 8 and 9 this morning just to give us one more uh, glimpse of just context of this passage. We've covered the context of Isaiah um, pretty thoroughly in this series. We looked at chapters one through eight last week. Uh, We double clicked on eight a couple weeks ago. Um, So we're just going to give it kind of a cursory reading to give us a runway into what we're um, discussing today. But before we do that, uh, I want to remind you that we're going to be gathering Saturday. I know Chris um, already mentioned this, uh, but we're excited to gather with you Saturday um, at 10 a.m. for Christmas Eve services. And then I also want to uh, just lay this before you and I'll move on. I promise there is no agenda behind this. There is no guilt. In fact, if you hear this and you feel guilty, um, don't do uh, what I'm about to lay before you. Um, But um, we wanted to make sure that if the Lord has blessed you, um, if he has been extra gracious to you and you're in the position where you'd want to make a urine gift to our church, uh, please note I'm saying this after the buckets have already gone, so we're not going to pass them again and guilt you. Um, the, The biblical standard of giving... Um, is in 100% response to God's grace. Um, it's not a specific number. Um, it is whatever you can decide to give cheerfully in your heart in response to all that God has done in your life. Um, so I just want to lay that before you, but if you're in the position to make a year in gift, our church would love to receive it, um, and that's it. No more buckets coming by. We're not, you know, guilting you again, um, but if you'd want to do that, uh, we would be most grateful. And um, instructions to do that are on our website, highpointonline.com slash give. Um, all the stuff is there. So um, I'll move on from that and give you a, just kind of a, a summary of what we've been talking about in this series. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at Isaiah chapter 9, specifically verses 6 and 7. and We've been looking at these different names that are ascribed to this child that would be born. Um, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of all hope being lost... Uh, there's a promise given through the prophet Isaiah um, that this child would come and he would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father in the Prince of Peace. And uh, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Prince of Peace. Uh, we're kind of flipping the order. We're going to save um, everlasting father for this Saturday at Christmas Eve. Um, But we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And one of the things that we've learned as we've been walking through this is uh, we've learned a lot about Jesus and who he is um, as we've looked at these names. But as we talked about last week, when you look at these names, uh, we also learn something about ourselves. Um, The fact that Jesus was born to us and given to us and the fact that he was our wonderful counselor means that you and I were very foolish, that apart from Christ, apart from the wisdom of God, we know nothing about God unless he speaks it to us. Uh, We are foolish in our humanity. Uh, We don't know anything about who we are, why we are created, who God is, what is he like, why does the world exist, what's wrong with us, what has God done about it? We would know nothing of those things apart from who God is. And man, you can look at all of the different popular theories in our world today apart from um, Christianity and and see the foolishness that is there. I'm trying to explain how all of this happens. Um, The beauty Of What we believe is that the God who created all this has spoken he has revealed himself to us He's revealed the world to us through his word Um, So that's just wonderful counselor We also learned last week that the fact that Jesus is our mighty God um, Means that we were powerless Um, Powerless to obey God's law powerless to save ourselves powerless to overcome temptation in our lives Powerless to break the bondage of sin in our lives Powerless to satisfy our own hearts That apart from the Holy Spirit's power, apart from the gospel power to save ourselves, uh, we can't do anything um, to, to live a life holy and pleasing to the Lord. That we needed Jesus Christ to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We needed the very power of God to break the bondage of sin in our lives. We needed someone who could live a perfect life before God, and we could never do it. So God himself stepped out of heaven, took on human flesh, and lived the life that you and I could never live. And he is purchase for us righteousness and holiness and redemption and all of those things through the shedding of his blood. But we needed that power, and now he's given us his Holy Spirit, and by the power of his Spirit, we can overcome temptation. We can resist the devil. We can obey God's law. And it's not because of our human earthly flesh. It's because of the Spirit working in us, putting to death the desires of the flesh and the deeds of the flesh and allowing us to walk by the Spirit. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Prince of Peace. Um, so if you'll stand with me, we're going to do this um, cursory reading. Uh, we're going to start in Isaiah um, chapter eight, verse 16, and uh, we'll read through chapter 9, um, verse seven. But I want to give us another reminder of just how dark things had gotten. Um, things had gotten so dark um, by, by the time we get to Isaiah chapter eight, and uh, let's look at some of it together. It says this in verse 16 of chapter eight. It says, "Bind up the testimony." Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." And in the middle of this darkness, here's this promise in chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together as we jump in. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Father, as we just sang, you are the only one who is worthy of our praise. You are the only holy one. Um, God, you are not just worthy of the praise of our mouths. You're worthy worthy of our hearts, and you're worthy of our lives. Um, So, Father, as we look to you, um, God, I just pray that, Jesus, you would make yourself known this morning. Um, Father, that you would be our peace. Um, God, that you would draw people to yourself, that you would awaken dead hearts to new life. Um, God, there are so many things I would love to happen this morning, God, for for anxiety to cease in people's hearts, um, for relationships to be mended, for marriages to be restored, um, God, so many things that I cannot do, um, but God, I'm grateful that you can. I don't have the power to to do any of those things, but God, you do. You are our mighty God. Um, so move in our midst once again. Um, make much of yourself as we look at this text. God, help us to see Jesus. Um, As big and as beautiful and as majestic as he is in this passage. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Um, This weekend, my wife and I got to go see the Nutcracker. Um, That doesn't, you know, fire me up every year. Um, I think there's a song actually. Um, a country song about this husband singing that he hopes it doesn't become a tradition in his family. Um, I'm not saying that's me, um, but we had a great time. The last time I went, I was in high school and uh, fell asleep in it. I stayed awake the whole time this time. um, It was actually a great time. I would encourage you to go see it if you haven't seen it. Uh, We went to dinner before uh, we went to the Nutcracker and um, got to this restaurant, and they put us in one of those U-shaped booths. You know, the awkward ones when it's just two of you, and you're like, do we sit across from each other? Do we sit beside each other? How does this work? Um, So we get in there, and we're sitting beside each other, uh, which is real awkward for the the table in front of us, because it's just the two of us staring at this couple as they're looking at each other. And we're just by each other, you know, excited to see the Nutcracker, and um, interestingly enough, um, there's a couple that sits in front of us, and by all assessments, um, especially kind of to our world standards, you would say that they had a peaceful dinner. Um, There was, you know, no distractions. There was no children running about. There was no loud noises, any of those things. Um, But it was far from peaceful because you you looked at this couple and other than ordering their food, there were zero audible noises, Ever like nothing, no dialogue, no conversation. They both ordered, and the the man I think you know they were a little bit older, probably had adult children, grandchildren, and uh, just didn't even look at one another. Sat in front of each other, would not look at each other in the eyes. No conversation whatsoever, other than occasionally asking the waiter for something else, and it was mind boggling to my wife and I, just sitting there. Um, and, and the poor lady um, sits down and waits, and the husband just won't look, pulls out the phone, does a couple things, still won't look at his wife. And she, you know, goes from excited and hopeful to just kind of dropping her head. And eventually she pulls her phone out, but she won't even put it above the table just in case he might look up and want to talk to her. So he might not see that her phone is out. And we just began to watch this and, you know, kind of whisper and those kind of things. But but what struck me is knowing what we're going to talk about this morning is anybody would just look at that situation, no noise, no, you know, no crazy, no nothing and go, wow, that's a peaceful dinner. Um, But having a up close and awkwardly personal view of this dinner, um, my assessment was that it was far from peaceful. That it was very far from peaceful. And I tell you that because um, it reminds me of what we're teaching about today. We're going to look at this um, title that Jesus has given, that he's the, the, the prince of peace. And that word peace there in the Hebrew is the word shalom. Um, the problem with that is that our English word peace is the best that we can do, but it doesn't actually describe fully what the word shalom means. If you look up the word shalom, it means wholeness. It means completeness. It means that um, everything is functioning as it should be. It doesn't just mean that there's an absence of conflict, right? You could look at this couple and go, okay, well, they're not fighting, so I guess it's peaceful. Um, but once you, once you take a closer look, you're like, this is far from peaceful. He's not paying attention to his wife. She's hoping that he might. He's resorting to his phone and just is staring around the restaurant. And she's begging for some attention. And just because there was no conflict Out loud and arguments and those kind of things, there still wasn't peace. And our English term is good. It's a good term. I'm not trying to, to, you know, say don't trust the English language or don't trust the words in your Bible. It is the closest that we have. But the word shalom in the Hebrew doesn't just mean that there's no fighting, it doesn't just mean that there's no conflict, but it actually means that things are functioning as they should be, that they're complete, that they're whole that all is as it should be. It's not just the absence of conflict, it's almost the presence of harmony, the presence of flourishing. Um, And parents, you know this, right? Just because your children aren't currently fighting doesn't necessarily mean that there's shalom in your home, does it, right? Just because your children aren't fighting one another, um, we would call that a ceasefire. The Bible wouldn't call that shalom, Right, Because all it takes is for one of your children to see another one of your children going after something that they want and go, ooh, I've got an idea. They want that. Now I suddenly want it, and I'm going to get it before they do. Right? Or one nudge, one bump. Right? We're just playing around with our toys, and one of them accidentally nicks the other one or hits the other one, and then all shalom is lost. Right? That all it takes is for one little moment, and everything goes south. And you know, we can see that up close and personal with our children, but you think about this every Thanksgiving dinner as well, because you're worried that your crazy aunt or uncle is going to say that one thing that's just going to ruin all shalom at the dinner table, right? Please don't go there. Please don't go. Oh, she went there, right? Here we go. Is it time to go? Yeah, I think it's time. You know, we've had our lunch. Happy Thanksgiving. We're out of here, right? Right? That shalom is not just the absence of conflict, but it's actually the presence of flourishing. Shalom in your home would be when your two children, it's not just that they're not fighting, it would be that they're actually getting along. And like helping one another and serving one another and sharing with one another to the point where it, it only happens rarely, but you walk into the kitchen and like you don't wanna say anything or you don't wanna bring attention to it because then it might break. Like as soon as you acknowledge it, they're like, oh yeah, we are doing this. And then they start fighting again, right? But you don't wanna acknowledge it because it's those one, you know, rare few moments, once every quarter it seems like in your year when you're like, there is a God in heaven and wonderful are his ways, right? My children are actually getting along and they're sharing with one another. They're actually cooperating and happy to be around each other. Some of you uh, know what this is like. School shalom, right? It's not just that you're not failing your classes. School shalom would not be just, it's not just the absence of conflict. It would be that you enjoy going there and that you're actually learning and that you're contributing and that financially you're able to cover it. It's, it's, It's all as functioning as it should be. Some of you, to to have shalom at work isn't just that there's no drama at work, but it's that you enjoy your work. And you don't need anything other than, or from your work other than the fact that you do it um, to make a living and it's something you enjoy doing, but you don't feel you know, your worth or your dignity or your value or your significance from your job. You're able to just go to your job because you enjoy it and work your job and get there on time and leave on time because your job isn't providing anything for you emotionally. It's just a job that you can enjoy and get paid to do and you can leave. And you love it when you're there and you're able to walk away when you're done. That would be work shalom. That would be your job as functioning as it should be, right? But man, do we wish we would feel that. Some of you are like, that sounds like a great description that I've never experienced, right? But we see that, that this word doesn't just mean that there's no fighting, there's no conflict. For some of you, you one of the prayers you might want to pray this morning is you would have shalom in your friend group, right? It's not just that we're not currently, there's no drama Currently, but it's that we actually like one another and enjoy being around one another and we share with one another and we give to one another and we help one another. Some of you are praying that over your teenagers as they interact with their friends. Lord, just bring some shalom in this relationship, please. But it's not just that there's a ceasefire. Um, So many times in scripture, it's used to describe this wholeness. Things are as they should be um job actually in his um book he says that his sheep are in shalom when he counts them and none of them are missing that all of them are there all of them are accounted for all of them are safe and all is as it should be that's what he would call shalom that things are functioning as they should Uh, when solomon finishes the temple Um, The scriptures say that he brings shalom to the temple when he completes it. It's whole, it's as it was intended to be, it's as God said it should be, that it was finished, it was complete, it was usable, it was working, it brought glory to God and good to man, that it was functioning as it should. Um, If you harmed or damaged someone in the Old Testament, um, especially your neighbor, the way that you would restore shalom would be to pay back their debt in full or to fix what you broke, to restore what was lost. That would be to, to bring shalom back. Um, one of the things that I love about the word shalom is it's also a greeting that all throughout the first century, all throughout the Old Testament days, the Hebrews, the, the Jewish people would greet each other with this word shalom, which is so much more kind and encouraging, then our English greeting, you know, hi, right? Which is essentially is just, I acknowledge that you exist, right? Hi, you're there, you're breathing, you exist. But, but to say shalom to someone means to, to, to wish that things would be as they should be in their life. To, to, it was almost a prayer or a wish that, hey, I wish um, God's flourishing would be in your life and in your work and your relationships. It was so much more than just, hello, you exist right? Turn to, turn to someone around you and, and say shalom to them, right? Go ahead. And as, as, see, as, as we have more dinners, as we be, you know, more of a family, these situations aren't going to be awkward. To make it a little more awkward, uh, turn to the person you didn't pick the first time and tell them shalom. Uh, yeah, there you go. See? see, We're starting to be a church. There we go. I love it. I love it. But it was, it was a greeting. It was a wish. It was wishing, hey, I, I want God's flourishing in your life. I don't just want there to be no conflict I want there to be flourishing I want your life to be functioning as God intended it for it for it to function it's so much more than just we're not fighting it's so much more than just we're not struggling for some of you to have financial salome it's not just that we don't have any debt right but it's the presence of some cash in the bank that would be financial shalom, where you're able to take care of yourself, to take care of your children, to provide for your needs, those kind of things. It's not just that there's no lack, but it's that there's a presence of flourishing. Um, one of the most ironic um, moments of shalom in the scriptures is uh, you know, when David is a shepherd boy and he's young and Goliath is out in the um, the, the valley, and David's sent um, not to fight. He's just sent to go bring cheese to his brothers and to the other soldiers. Um, his dad, Jesse, tells him to, hey, go check on the shalom of the soldiers. Go see how things are doing. Go see if, if things are going well for them. If, not just that you know, they're struggling, but that they're flourishing. And you see this little glimpse of David doing that. And then later on, when David is older... And he sleeps with Bathsheba, someone who is not his wife. Um, He calls in her husband, Uriah, and he inquires of him about his shalom. Hey, how are you? How's your life? How's your wife? All of those things. He asks Uriah about the shalom of his life while David, moments before, had just ripped it apart, had just totally broken it. And then he, hey, how's the shalom in your life? Are things functioning as they should? knowing that they're not, and it was David's fault. Very ironic in the text. But if you look at the scriptures, you can almost trace the theme of shalom all through the Bible. That when Jesus, God, the Spirit, the Trinity, when God created the world, it was in shalom. If you just read Genesis 1, as God creates everything, what does He say? It was, good, it was 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 good. Everything was functioning as it should. Everything was. All was as it should be. There was perfect shalom in creation. God spoke it into existence. Everything was functioning as it should. God creates Adam and Eve, He creates man. He says it's very good. He creates Adam and says, hey, it's not good for him to be alone, so I'm going to give him a helper, I'm going to give him a helpmate, I'm going to create this perfect complement for him to enjoy and to love and to cherish and to enjoy me more by enjoying one another, and everything is functioning as it should. Genesis 2 ends, Adam wakes up from this surgery where his rib is taken out to create Eve, and he sees Eve, and she's standing there, and both of them are naked, and Adam breaks out into poetry, and all is functioning as it should be perfect shalom on the world creation functioning perfectly man in perfect shalom with one another humanity in perfect shalom with god and everything is good and god gives humanity one rule don't eat and and be fruitful multiply enjoy me enjoy the earth fill it subdue it but don't eat from this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil And some of you are like, I hate that story. Like, does God have something against fruit? Like, come on. Like, literally, because they ate the fruit. It it has nothing to do with the fruit. It has everything to do with relationship. It has everything to do with allegiance. This is the God who gave you life, who breathed you into existence, who created Adam from the dust of the ground, who created Eve from the side of Adam, who breathed life into them, who gave them all of the world. And says, hey, don't eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Essentially, God's saying, this is my domain. Good, evil, think about how amazing it is to, to, I mean, it's hard for us to comprehend that Adam and Eve, that things were so perfect that they didn't even have knowledge of good and evil, that all that they did was good. They were so innocent, they didn't even know the difference between good and evil because all that they could do was good. They were completely innocent. And God says, that's my domain. I'm gonna handle good and evil. And what did man say? No, God, we'll take it from here. We'll be like you. We'll take on good and evil ourselves. And they ate. They were deceived. And so many times we run to, Chris and I were talking about this this week, and by Chris and I talking about it, Chris was telling me this, and it was brilliant, so I'm gonna tell you. Um, But he was telling me this week that so many times we run to um, Paul's writing in Timothy where he says Eve was deceived, and we use that to blame the woman, but it's the only time it's mentioned. And also, um, I don't think Paul is saying that to blame the woman. I think he's saying that um, to blame the man, that Eve was the one who was deceived. He, nowhere does it say Adam was deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. Adam knew that he was being passive. Scripture says that he was there with her as she was deceived, she was tricked, and Adam just completely was guilty. And every other time the Bible talks about the origin of sin, they blame Adam. Paul gives one time where he talks about Eve and she says, hey, he was tricked or she was tricked. Adam was not. And you see the woman deceived, you see the man being passive, failing to lead, failing to protect his wife from a serpent right in front of her, twisting the the words of God, failing to lead his family, his home, his relationship, his wife. And you see sin enter the world. And ever since then, if you look at the curses in Genesis chapter three, one, that man and woman would be cursed, that we would, be sin, uh, we would have a sin nature, that we would struggle with sin for all of our days. But we also see that God says the ground will be cursed, that, that creation would be cursed, that creation would not function as it should. And then we see the effects of our sin, that ultimately it leads to death. But now we don't just have um, broken shalom with God because our sin is Isaiah 53, uh, 59 says, 59 verse 2 says that our our sins have separated us from God, that shalom with God is broken because of our sin. But because of that, we also no longer have shalom within ourselves, that we carry the guilt of our sin, we carry the shame of our sin, that all of us struggle. With all of these different desires of our hearts, none of our hearts are satisfied apart from Christ, that all of us struggle. We don't have peace and shalom within ourselves apart from Jesus That we look to the world, we look to all of these different things. We look to websites, we look to bottles, we look to substances, we look to work, we look to our children, we look to social media, we look to all of these things to try to to create some sort of shalom in our hearts. And it never, ever works. We try over and over and over and over again. And boy, do we settle for some lesser forms of shalom, trying to... Post another post so we might feel validated for five minutes, and then it's gone again. If I just get in this relationship, then I might feel some shalom again. Might feel like I'm functioning as I should, that I have worth and value and dignity and all those things. Man, I'll just go to work again because that's where I feel like I matter. That's where I feel significant. That's where I feel like I have some shalom. And it never, ever satisfies, ever And all throughout the Bible, you just see the effects of shalom broken. All throughout the scriptures, you see death reign over and over and over, excuse me, and over again. Genesis 5 traces the the lineage from Adam and Eve all the way down to Noah. And the, the phrase that's repeated over and over again is, and he died, 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 over and over and over again the effects of shalom being broken. We see it all over the place, we see it all over the scriptures, and you and I, if we're honest, we see it all over our lives. That we see that this world is not functioning as it should, don't we? We see it all over the place. We see it in our relationships, we see it when we watch the news every morning, we see it on social media, I see it in my own family, that my family isn't functioning as it should, I see it often in my marriage that there are plenty of times where that conversation did not function as it should, right? That things weren't as they should be in the way that I spoke to her, the way that we treated one another, the way that we ignored one another, the way that we weren't giving each other our full attention. Every time we lie to someone, we break shalom with them because we don't speak the truth to them and what's consistent with reality and how God created the world. Instead, we deceive them and we break shalom with them, but we see it all over the world. We see creation not functioning as it should. We see our relationships not functioning as it should. Natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, death everywhere. We see it in the fact that mothers and fathers have to bury their children. We see it in wayward children, running away from the family, running away from the Lord, that we see all over the place that this world is not functioning as it should. It's not. This world is broken. We are broken. We have broken shalom with God. We have lost shalom within ourselves. And because of that, we have definitely lost shalom with one another. And there are times, right, where we're not fighting each other or after each other. But I wouldn't call that shalom. I would call that a ceasefire, right? A peace treaty. Doesn't mean that everything's functioning great. It just means that we're not currently at war with one another. But if you've got a, a world full of people, 8 billion people in the world... And none of them have shalom with God, and because of that, apart from Christ, and because of that, none of them have shalom within themselves, then we're never going to have shalom with one another because it's constantly going to be people running after and chasing after and trying to attain these lesser things, these earthly things, these little things. I'm going after the same thing you're going after to try to feel a little sense of shalom in my own heart. And we compete for things, we compete for glory, we compete for attention, we compete for money, we compete for significance, we compete for status, that it's just humanity trying to feel some sort of sense of shalom. And we break shalom with one another. We lie to each other to get ahead. We deceive one another to self-preserve, to make ourselves look good. We fail to take responsibility. We fail to honor our word with people, right? And we break shalom with them over and over and over again. And the Bible <clears throat> very clearly lays blame for all of those things at our feet. Because we sin. Because we not only are sinners by nature, but we're sinners by choice. On a regular basis, we choose to sin. And the, the downstream of our sin, as James would write, is death. Death. But there's some hope. And in the middle of Isaiah chapter 8, when all shalom is broken, when all shalom is lost, there's a promise that there would be a prince of shalom. And by his leadership and his rule, there would be no end to shalom. And here's where I want to guard us because some of us believe, and I, I, I do this all the time, chief of sinners right here. I buy into the lie on a regular basis that if my circumstances just changed, then I would have shalom. If we just had a little more money in the bank, I would have shalom. If we could just fix a couple more things in our house, then we would be at shalom. <clears throat> if I could just preach a little bit better sermon, then I would have shalom internally. couple more dollars, a couple more possessions, couple more of this, a couple more of that, If my kids would just behave a little bit more, then we'd have Shalom. If they would just turn 18, right, then we'll have Shalom. Some of you, that's your thinking. If we can just get to this phase, then we'll finally have Shalom. If we can just get out of the twos and the threes, as terrible as they are, then we'll finally have Shalom in this house. And then you get there and you're like, it's worse than the twos and the threes, right? You get to the twelves and the thirteens and you're like, Lord, give us the twos and the threes again. Because it feels like it just 10 years later. And so many times we buy into this idea, we believe the lie, that if our circumstances would just change a little bit, then we would finally have shalom. And church, you will never get fully and finally lasting shalom, where things are not just not bad, but they're flourishing from earthly circumstances. You won't, because the problem, our shalom problem, isn't circumstantial. It's not just Jesus came and changed a couple of our circumstances. If He just brought our child home. If he just changed my situation at work. If he just eased this burden in our lives, then we would be at peace. No, because the problem is much deeper than that. The problem is not relational. The problem is not circumstantial. The problem is our sin. That's the problem with Shalom. You see Paul wrestle with this in Romans chapter 7. He says, all the things that I know I should be doing, I'm not doing, and the things that I know I'm not doing, I keep trying to to do, and I keep leaning that way, and I know I should be going this way, but I keep going that way, and I don't know what to do with myself. No shalom whatsoever, apart from Christ. And Jesus Christ came not just to change our circumstances, which he will one day, but he came to fix the ultimate cause of our shalom problem, and that's our sin." In fact, one of the things that's beautiful about the Prince of Peace is he comes down and he starts to give us glimpses of what he will ultimately do one day when he returns. What does he do? He brings shalom into certain people's situations. He brings shalom to the person that can't see and he gives them sight. He brings shalom to the person that can't walk and he gives them the ability to walk. He brings shalom to the woman who's caught in sin, caught in adultery. But notice it never stops there. Why? Because Jesus didn't just come to change our circumstances. Because even with the ability to walk, I'm still gonna have a shalom problem. Even with the ability to see, I'm still gonna have a shalom problem. In fact, the people that Jesus turned away the most were the people that were just looking after him and running after him for circumstantial changes. John 6, you're following me just because I fed your mouths. I brought you some Some budget and some nutritional shalom, right? I'm saving you some money. I'm turning this kid's lunchable into you know a meal for five thousand on a regular basis, and I saved you some money and I made your bellies full, and that's why you're following me. You don't see me for who I really am. I didn't come to give you circumstantial shalom just yet. I came to fix your root problem. I came to restore your shalom with God. I came to restore the shalom within yourself to deal with your greatest problem, which is your sin. And he would often turn away those that were just looking for a change in circumstances. And if you're here this morning and you're attending church because you think, because you're sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair, that God might look at you and give you some better circumstances because of it, you're missing the point. That's religion, one. I'll perform for God so he might do a couple things for me. And two, that will never Fix your greatest problem, which is shalom within yourself. And we see all throughout Scripture that our greatest problem is that we have broken shalom with God because of our sin. Paul says um, in Philippians chapter 3, he says that those who are, um, <clears throat> in verse 18, he says many who um, have not believed in the gospel, what is he, he says they, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That in our sin we are enemies of God. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter five. If you look down at verse 10, he says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That in our sin, we have a problem. That we are enemies of God. That we are hostile to the cross. That we are opposed to the message of the cross. Colossians one, Paul writes, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We have a bigger problem than if I just had a couple more dollars, I would be at shalom. I would be at peace. It is so much deeper than that. It is so much worse than that. And in the promise, or in the middle of the darkness of Isaiah chapter 8, as things have gotten very dark, what is the promise? that there would be a child born to us. There would be a son who would be given. There would be a fully human child born and there would be a fully God son who is given. Both of those worlds colliding in Jesus Christ. Fully man, fully God. Born as a child to experience all of humanity from birth to death and given as the son of God who has eternally existed. He was not created. By him, everything else was created. Stepping out of heaven... Emptying himself by taking on human flesh, laying his heavenly blessing and glory aside and coming down to take the role of a servant. And this promise is that this child will be born, this son will be given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the story of the scriptures is that you never find shalom after Genesis chapter three. That God gives humanity his law And his law was never intended to to provide shalom. Some of you, that might be your perception of the Bible, is if I just obey these things, then I'll have peace. If I just do these things, if I just join the religion and follow the list of rules, then I'll finally be okay. No, the law was given to show you that shalom is broken, that in and of yourself, you cannot obey God's word. You cannot please him. And I love that God didn't show up in Genesis 3 when shalom was broken and say, here's a list of rules, I'm going to give you 2,000 years, and when I get back, I better see some shalom in here. Do it yourself, right? Some of you, that's like you're parenting for the last week. (laughs) Here's two things you need to change, kids, and when I get back up here, I better see some shalom. As they're in tears, like you better be happy and smiling and playing with each other. But God didn't do that. He did not look down at humanity and say, hey, here's the rules, go figure it out and produce shalom. Why? Because we never could. In and of ourselves, we never can do this. Shalom is not a list of rules, shalom is a person. The peace of Christ is a person who stepped out of heaven and came down to earth to do what you and I could never do for ourselves to restore a right relationship with God so that you and I, our relationship with God would be functioning as it should. The Prince of Shalom came to deal with our greatest problem which was our broken Shalom. And how did he do it? He took all the effects of our broken Shalom with the Father and took them with him to the cross so that you and I could have all of the benefits and the blessings of his relationship with the Father. One of the things that I love about the gospel is it's not just this beautiful story about how God is no longer mad at you. It's not just that you've escaped his wrath, although that is beautiful, right? We love that. It's half the gospel, that you and I are saved from God, that God has saved us from himself because God is just and God punishes every sin. And you and I in our sin, we are rightly deserving of his wrath and his justice And we want God to call evil evil and punish evil and punish sin. So what does God do? He steps out of heaven and he saves us from his very own wrath, taking it on himself in the form of the son, going to the cross with it to fix our greatest problem, which was our broken shalom with him. The prince of peace is a person. And how did he do it? I want to read to you a couple chapters later from Isaiah chapter 53, that there would be another promise in this text, a beautiful promise, and I want you to see what God would do with our broken shalom. It says this in Isaiah 53 verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. It was his chastisement that brought us shalom. He took the wrath of God. And the beauty of the gospel is not just that God's no longer mad at you if you're in Christ. It's not just that you and God are at a ceasefire. It's, it's better than that. It's more beautiful than that. It's not just that there's an absence of conflict, which is great. We love that. But it's that there's the presence of flourishing, that all of Jesus' holiness is given to you. All of Jesus' righteousness is given to you. Jesus' intimacy with the Father, where he can have direct access to him and approach the throne and run to the throne boldly, is given to you. Jesus' sonship is given to you as you're adopted into the family of God that you're co-heirs with Christ. It's not just that you and God no longer have conflict, but it's that your relationship with God is fully and finally restored as it should have been from the beginning, before we sinned. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that Jesus Christ made things as they should. He restored Shalom with God. Paul writes in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. That Jesus was the lamb who went to the slaughter. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sin, purchasing for us peace. It's not just the absence of conflict with God. It's now that you and I can have a right, restored relationship with the God of the universe. That's the beauty of the gospel. We can have peace through Christ. So what does this mean? Some of you hear a message like that, and you're like, man, that's great, but if God came to, to make all things peaceful, I'm not really feeling it this holiday season. I'm not really seeing it in my life, and that's where I would, I would point you to the scriptures and remind you and remind all of us um, that, yes, our world is still broken. It is. We still see the effects of sin. Now, God has made a promise that one day he will finally and finally come and restore Shalom circumstantially he will. But that promise is not for now. That promise is coming. But what God has done now as he has done the greater work, as he has given us perfect shalom with himself, he has given us shalom from death. That if you're in Christ, you no longer have to experience death. You no longer have to give into your sin by the power of his spirit. That he has done the greater work now, which is that you and I can be rightly restored to him. And What's fascinating is that even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of of broken shalom in our world, you and I can navigate this world. We can walk through this world, not with shalom externally, but with the peace of God and shalom internally. That you and I can navigate all the brokenness of this world with peace in our hearts. And it only comes from Christ. Because when God restores us and restores shalom with him, it also restores shalom within ourselves. That if my worth comes from him, my identity comes from him, my value comes from him, my significance comes from him, my beauty comes from him, whatever it is, if you're getting that from him, then you no longer have to get it from from anyone else. And he will eternally exist. He will never change. He will always be the the river that runs a fountain of living water. It will never run dry. He will always be there. And you will never have to, to go try to find shalom from the circumstances of this world. You can navigate the brokenness of this world with shalom in your heart. And because shalom has been restored with God and shalom has been restored internally, you and I can finally pursue shalom with one another. Because I'm not competing with you for worth, or for value, or for significance, or for identity. That when I remember the gospel and trust in it, I don't have to compete with you or fight for you, with you for anything. I don't have to contend with you for my worth or my value or my significance. I don't have to contend with my job to try to fully and finally satisfy me. I don't have to pursue a couple dollars thinking that it will satisfy me, that I can be content and I can be at peace. I can fully and finally experience spiritual rest from all of the striving when I experience the shalom given from the Lord. And what we, what we can't miss is in the middle of this promise, Isaiah chapter 8 is still true. Circumstances are about to get really bad. And that's the beauty of this message, is that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of gloom, in the midst of anguish, there's a promise of peace. Not absent from the circumstances, but right in the middle of it. You can have the peace of God in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus would come on the scene, and he would promise the very same thing later. John 16 He would say this in verse 32, behold, he's talking to his disciples, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. Things are about to get bad, you're about to be wanted men from Rome, and the scribes and the Pharisees, you're going to be on all the wanted posters for following me, you're about to scatter, I'm going to be alone, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me, Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will, not you might, not. It, there's a possibility, not even there's a good probability. In this world you will have trouble. You will experience the effects of shalom broken in Genesis chapter three. You will, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I've lived the life you could never live, and I died the death that you deserve. And in me, as you navigate the brokenness of this world, you can have peace. As you go through the trials of this life, as we suffer the the brokenness of our own bodies, the brokenness of our own spirits, as we we navigate all of the brokenness in this world, we can do it with the peace of God in us. We can have shalom internally. And how do we do that? Paul gives us some, some great instruction in Philippians chapter four. That we are always going to, to be tempted to, to find our worth and our significance and our value and the, the cares of this world and the things of this world. There's going to be all sorts of, of shalom broken in our lives that cause us to be anxious, to cause us to take our eyes off of Christ and put them on the things of this earth. Hey, if I just had this, uh uh-oh, this is falling. We gotta fix this. Otherwise, Shalom's gonna be broken. Uh Uh-oh, hey, this isn't turning out the way I thought it would. This business deal's going south. You know, this house has got all sorts of issues that we didn't know we had. This relationship's going south. We just gotta fix this or else Shalom is broken. And all of this stuff is tempted to make us anxious. And what does Paul say in Philippians 4? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And I love how he says, let them be known. Almost like they want to be. I love how he puts that in the passive kind of aspect of the verb. He says, hey, you've got all these anxieties of the the broken shalom in our world. They're showing up on your phone. They're showing up in your newsfeed. They're showing up in your life. Don't suppress them. Don't avoid them. Let them come out. They're there. We live in the broken world. Shalom is broken and let those things come out. Let them come to the surface. And then he says, just keep pushing them upward." Let them be made known to God. Give those things to him. He's God. He governs good and evil. He governs the affairs of this world. He governs your finances. He governs your family. He governs your relationships. You don't have to hold on to those. As they want to come out and cause all this anxiety, let them out and just keep pushing them upward. God, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I can trust you. God, I can't see what you're doing behind the scenes, but I know you're good and I know you love me. God, I can't see how you're going to redeem this or fix this, but I know your word. And God, you have taken far worse situations and redeemed them. And you can redeem this situation too. And as those things come to the surface, let them out and just keep pushing them upward to God. And what does he say? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's the old hymn. Some of you might not have heard the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What does the line say? It says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That when we don't let those things out and take them to the Lord, it's saying, you know what, God? I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna carry this. I'm big enough, smart enough, strong enough to carry this situation myself. No thanks, I've got this one. I'll fix it. And so many times God's saying, let me have it. I died for it, I came to fix it and to redeem it and to sanctify it and to save it, let me have it. I'm sovereign over it, I already see how this is gonna end. You don't need to carry that. You don't need to take on that burden, come to me, give me that burden and I'll give you my burden which is easy and light, I'll give you my rest. You give me your burdens, I'll give you my rest. Ironically, in Isaiah chapter 26, he also says this. He says, you keep him in perfect peace, who? whose mind is stayed on you. That as we navigate the brokenness of this life, we can know that Jesus Christ has come and he has restored shalom between God and man. That in Christ, we can be restored with God and our relationship with him can function as it should. And because of that, I can navigate this world, all of the brokenness, all of the fallen shalom, I can navigate it with peace internally. And how do I do it? I keep my mind on him. And as my mind comes off of him and I focus on the things of this life, I focus on the budget, I focus on the calendar, I focus on the issue, I focus on the illness, focus on the diagnosis, I let those things be made known to God and while I'm up there, I just keep my mind focused on him and he will keep me at peace. As I focus on him, as I walk with him, as I remember the gospel and I remember what he has promised to do. That's the beauty of the Christmas story is that you and I, did not get restored shalom through a list of rules. Shalom came through a person. The prince of peace is a person. And what do the angels say? They say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with whom his favor rests. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. Shalom has been restored. And God gets the glory, we get the peace. That's the goodness of Christmas. Shalom has been restored to the glory of God and to the good of man. That's why we love and celebrate Christmas. So, the question this morning, just to give you a couple applications, we never dive too deep into this just because I don't know your situation, I don't want to play the Holy Spirit, um, but what role are you playing in your relationships? Specifically, in some relationships, have you been the peace breaker? Have you been the one starting the conflict? Have you been the one causing the issues? Some of us, as a person that tends to be passive. Um, I'm not typically the peace breaker, but I'm the peace keeper to a fault. I'm not saying that's a good thing, that I won't tell the truth or be completely honest about how I'm feeling because I want to keep peace, that I won't address something because I want to keep peace. Some of us break the peace and some of us just comply and keep the peace. Peace breakers, peace keepers, scripture calls us to be a peacemaker. And for some of us that break it, it means we have to confess and repent and ask for forgiveness. And some of us who just are complicit and keep it, it means we have to confess and repent and have some hard conversations. But I don't know where you are in your relationships, but we all have some work to do, because we all tend to either break peace or try to keep peace, and the scriptures call us to to make peace. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 18, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That as believers, our greatest problem, shalom with God, has been restored. And our secondary problem, shalom within ourselves, has been fixed in the gospel. So there's no reason why we can't use those incredible gifts that God's given us to do whatever we can to live peaceably with those around us. As far as it depends on us, we can't control them. We can't control their actions. We can't control their repentance. But I know humanity's broken. And we all have some work to do to restore some shalom in our relationships. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, God has reconciled us to himself and he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. So what do we do as believers? We go into the world. And we're not just trying to to be nice to people. We're trying to reconcile them to God. We're trying to restore the world as it should be. God making his appeal through us to the world to bring the world back to as it should be, where humanity is before God and all is functioning as it should, where we are with God, we are united with him, we are dwelling with him, we are enjoying him. This is the mission that God has put us on. He's reconciled us to himself and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation to preach the gospel to our family members and to our community and to our neighbors. And he promises that this mission will be completed. And what's beautiful about how the story ends is one day the Prince of Shalom, he will return for his bride and he will take them into the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, Jeru, the city, Shalom of peace, that one day Jesus Christ will return the Prince of Peace will return and he will take his bride. He will take us. He will take those of us who are in Christ to the new Jerusalem, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and all will be restored. All will be as it should be. And it won't just be spiritually that you and I are, are healed and mended with our relationship with God, but even the world itself will be restored. And there will be shalom forevermore. The Prince of Peace will come, and by his leadership, by his governance, of shalom, there will be no end. So church, we look forward to that day. And until that day, we've been given a mission to be a part of God's reconciling work to restore shalom in the hearts of our neighbors, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, our family members, and the people around us. He's given us that mission. and We look forward to the day when it's complete, when he completes it. But until then, we receive the peace of God We receive this right relationship with God in the gospel. We're at peace within ourselves. And now we're free to live at peace with others. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you need to obey this morning. Maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to apologize. Maybe you need to have a conversation. But as far as it depends on you, let's live peaceably at all. What kind of message do we send to the world when those who have peace with God aren't at peace with one another? We're trying to tell the world that God's reconciling people to himself and they look at us and they're like, you're not even reconciled with one another. Scriptures say that that what's going to be captivating to the lost, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the shalom that we worked and fight for within one another, within ourselves, within this church, that will be a a witnessing message to to the world around us. And I love... That in the scriptures, when God told Aaron to give this blessing in the book of Numbers, what does he tell him to bless him with? It'll be our benediction this morning. But it says this in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel... And you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then it says this in verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless him. Isaiah 9, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Peace was not achieved, peace was not earned, peace was given. And it's given in the form of a person. So if you're in here this morning and you're looking for peace this Christmas in circumstances, if you think, you know, throwing the best Christmas party is gonna bring you peace, if you think having all the presents wrapped and everybody over and the house is clean is gonna give you peace, um, all of us in here say Merry Christmas to you. And we hope and we pray that you recognize that it never will. We're not here because we figured it out. We're here because we're broken. We're here because we needed shalom restored. And we know the one who's done it. And it's not us. It's Jesus Christ. So if you've never received him, I can't think of a better thing for you to do this Christmas season than to put your faith in the Prince of Peace and allow him to restore shalom with God, allow him to restore shalom in you, and allow him to set you free to go and be a peacemaker with others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that there's so much to celebrate this Christmas season. God, it's not just the arrival of a baby. God, the power of God was made manifest. The wisdom of God was revealed. You're saving men and women all around the world through your son. And God, that peace was restored. God, that our greatest problem was fixed. And it was fixed by you taking it on yourself and shedding your blood. It was the chastisement that was on you that brought us peace. So God, thank you that this Christmas season we can celebrate, God, that you've given us your peace. We look forward to the day when we no longer have to see shalom broken in this life. But God, until then, we are so grateful that you give us shalom to navigate the brokenness of this world. God, you're using us to to mend some of the brokenness in this world by your grace. So God, help us to be a people who are on mission for you as those who have been redeemed and restored to right shalom with you. God, we love you and we give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.